Hello, everyone. You know, sometimes I interview people who are changing the way we do birth work. Other times I chat to new mamas. Today, I'd like to just let you listen in on a get to know you with Courtney Piper, who I met over the social media, and I'm super excited about getting to know her a little bit more. So hello. Hello. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. So you call yourself a full spectrum doula, which I know what that is. Obviously, I kind of teach courses on that, but you also call yourself a political witch. Please introduce yeah. yourself to us all. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I am a full spectrum doula, meaning I will serve women in whatever fertility capacity they're in, whether they are pregnant, wanting to be pregnant, not wanting to be pregnant, um, needing counsel and spiritual guidance around pregnancy, a birth, um, loss, or uh, the choice to have an abortion. So I, you know, and I came into that work as a calling. Um, and it's, you know, I feel like it's life's work. It's life's work. It's something that is, it's, it's, it's dear to me. It's part of me. It's a, it's a, it's a dance and a reciprocity of obviously being a woman and a mother myself, but also serving women. So it's, it's a calling. It's a lifestyle more than a, a, a job. And then on the other side of things, I do call myself a spiritual witch. Um, and for good reason. I think that as a woman, you know, there's a saying that everything is political if you're a woman. And that's because our bodies have historically uh, been politicized. Everything about our reproduction has been politicized and our sexuality has been politicized. Um, so I think just by existing as a woman in the world, uh, you are political whether you're actively um, engaging in politics or not. I think the way that we live our lives is political. The way that we teach our kids is political. And then the way that we interact with our communities is political. So I don't think that there's a separation. I think it's an integrated experience. Um, and I call myself a political witch because I've decided that I need to live my life in the dynamic way that I am and not compartmentalize who I am. And that's often a challenge but I think that it's a good way to be in the world. And I think that it sends the right message to other women and other human beings that we have to live in this new consciousness, this emerging new paradigm um, of integratedness and wholeness and bringing our whole selves to the table. Um, because compartmentalization is really dishonest. And I think a lot of us are sick of that. I think we want to see each other mirrored. In each other we want to feel that connection and safety and knowing that people are multifaceted they have you know all kinds of things that they bring to the table i could die you know go deeper into that but that's that's why i label myself these things um because i want to open up the conversation about how everything is connected well thank you for that i love finding um well, kindred spirits, that's, uh, uh, though your words really resonate. And I think that, uh, that coming out and saying that, uh, that, that working in, in women's reproductive life is a, as a calling is really valid and important and valuable because, uh, we shouldn't denigrate it to this, to the state of being a profession or a job you know, or my work. It's an actual, it, it's a life. 
Right. Absolutely. It's a life. And I think, well, it, if you're serving women and you're sitting at the feet of women and you're learning from women, um, then you know that it is, it is, you cannot show up to a birth compartmentalized. You don't show up to a birth in a professional, in professional garb or with a professional ego. Um, the very aspect of allowing or being a person that is invited into that sacred space, um, and, you know, being a person that can hold this space and allow for that uh, birth reflex and response to happen, which, you know, it, uh, denotes safety. I mean, it, we, we, we must have safety in those spaces. You can't come in with ego. You can't come in with your baggage. You have to come in as a whole integrated person and reflect that love and that safety, you know, back and forth between um, the mom and, and, and the doula or the birth keeper, however you want to um, describe yourself. And so in that reflection, in that mirroring with mothers, you know, there's no lying. Women are innately so intuitive, especially pregnant and birthing moms. So, you know, it's our job to keep our slates clean, to keep ourselves polished, to keep ourselves integrated and whole when we're in those spaces to really honor that sacred interaction. Um, and that's what birth keeping is to me. That's, and I've been blessed, just truly, truly blessed to have the most amazing mentors um, along my journey. And I, I know not all of us get that, but I would invite your listeners to seek out uh, women like Wapio, Diane Bartlett and others who, um, you know, do the integrated holistic um, spiritual midwifery um, that is part of our antiquity, uh, which is part of really the roots of, of, of womanhood. And when you, when you get to do those deep dives and you get to understand birth basically as a psychedelic and spiritual experience, you'll never go back, you know, because it is, it resonates with the very truth of who we are. Um, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's beautiful. It's, um, challenging, um, but it's a vocation that will continue to expand your mind and your heart, your, your capabilities, and will continue to help you spiral up in your own journey. So yeah, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> it's not a nine to five thing at all. And bless it for that. I don't know that I would want it any other way. <laughs> no, I don't know how I would ever do. I've never done nine to five. It must be an interesting way of living one's life. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I agree. I've done it. And it is. <laughs> I think I must have done it years ago when I was maybe, I, 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 don't, I don't even know. It, I I don't think I could do it. But either yeah. way. Either way. It's so forgettable, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, did I do that? <laughs> So you, when, when I, when I kind of look around at you, 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 it looks like you're working on, on several different fronts. Um, what would you say is your most important task? Oh my gosh. You know, it, it's an interesting question you're asking me at this, this very point in time in my life. My most important task right now is really taking care of myself. I have learned, um, you know, that we can't, we can't fill other people's cups unless we fill our own. And I've learned about myself that I am a, I'm a taskmaster. I really get excited about projects. I like to go all in. I like to make things happen, um, especially on the political front and in my activism. And I just came off of a really long and difficult campaign 
And right now I'm taking care of myself and I'm regrouping and I'm building out my services to my community in a different way. So I'm offering, um, you know, birth services, birth attendant services and abortion counseling. Um, but I'm also teaching yoga over Zoom and I'm doing tarot readings over Zoom and in person. Um, but really trying to find that, you know, you know, as I get older, my children get older, finding that balance for myself. Because again, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a balancing act. Um, and I think that, you know, being an activist and being a mother, um, being a doula, all these things, we have to ebb and flow. We have to ebb and flow with the kind of seasons and the, the uh, that influence our lives. So right now I'm taking, um, taking some time for myself. And working on my pro and on smaller projects and um, and my health and my own well being and my own home. Um, a, a good a good friend of mine, a good mentor of mine, uh, Mary Lou Singleton, who uh, I would credit uh, to giving me a lot of grassroots mentorship around what it means to be a holistic midwife. Um, you know, I had dinner with her the other night and well, not the other night. It was a couple, I was like about a month ago, actually. Um, and I asked her, I said, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you stay so grounded in your activism and your midwifery? And, you know, essentially you don't let the bastards grind you down, you know, because we're, we're up against a lot of opposition, a lot of opposition, a lot of political op opposition, uh, financial capitalistic opposition. We're up against spiritual opposition. And she said to me, she said, Courtney, she said, just stay grounded, just stay grounded, stay in your community, work in your garden and serve the women that are around you. And I really took that to heart um, because I, um, you know, I tend to get big in my ideas and sometimes I, you know, I want to hit the ground and like tackle things in a global way, which I think is really exciting and you know has its advantages but it's important to remember that the best work that we do is face to face with the women in our community face to face you know the most important person in your life or the most important person that you can serve is first and foremost yourself and then that woman sitting across from you or your daughter or your you know your child so um that's that's been a great reflection for me and again mary's mary lou's just she's a powerhouse and she's, she's an incredible mentor. Um, so. Yeah, that's so important just to be able to know that um, when you need to lie fallow, then you need to lie fallow. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to sprout again, then, then you need to sprout and, and, uh, and let yourself ebb and flow. Yes. Yeah. And we take that cue from nature and that's, I mean, that's really what, being a hedge witch is and, and, and being in that rhythm. And, and like we touched on earlier, it's so hard to do that when you're in the conventional swim of the nine to five grind and the, all these pressures that, you know, uh, that conventional life puts on you. And you really do have to take the leap and step outside of those conventions so that you can be in those natural rhythms and reciprocities so that you have time for reflection so that you can listen to your body so that you can interpret your dreams so that you can sit under the stars. You know, th that in itself is resistance. That's defiance to the machine, loving yourself, taking time for yourself, praying, <laughs> watering the garden, uh, 
you know, sleeping in, that's resistance. That is active resistance. That's persistence in a culture that uh, seeks to destroy our mind, body, and spirit and that connectivity to ourselves. So, like, I look at activism in a broad spectrum of behavior. You know, you don't need to run a huge campaign and march on Washington, D.C., although that can be really (laughs) helpful. Um, You know, but you know what I'm saying? So there's so many facets in and spectrums of activism and just by being in in your own integrity that in and of itself that's where it starts that's where it starts absolutely right now we uh we we're living here in Quebec through a very stringent anti birth companion policy so one of uh lay midwives was was prosecuted and basically her life was destroyed about 5 years ago and and um, and there's just starting to be some growth again with women um, coming together and either doing both, you know, on their own or or um, both companions going into people's homes and and attending their birth uh, without. I mean, it's so complicated. The laws are so complicated, and the rules and regulations are so horrible, and the division between women is so disgusting. And wow. you know, it's so difficult, and and it's so refreshing to listen to you, and to know that you know these little baby steps that we're doing are absolutely in the right direction. When I tell someone that, yes, no, it's not illegal for you to give birth on your own in your own right. home, and I will. Definitely, you know, do whatever you want me to do in in any capacity, and their eyes just light up. Right, right. It is amazing. I have that experience a lot, not just in birth, but just, you know, giving women the space to re-remember their sovereignty is huge. And, you know, this... <laughs> This is the thing is that um, I've never been a fan of licensure. I, I was a student of Carl Hartley's who I loved. Oh, I was, I was too, but back in 1988. <laughs> in 1988, bless yeah. it. Yeah, bless <laughs> it. I didn't even know which end was up in 1988. <laughs> um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know anything. You know, I actually, I remember the first time I saw this bumper sticker. This is before my, do- my, my son was born, you know, 18 years ago. So this bumper sticker on a car that said, peace begins at birth. And I'll be honest with you. I went, huh, what a hippie thing to say. Like, what a silly, what, what does that even mean? Now, at the time I was a social worker and I was doing the real shit end of the work. Like I was, I, I was doing child protective services. I was trying to help humanity by cleaning it up from the, the other end of the spectrum. And it was horrifying. It was a horrifying job and I hated it. And it was, you know, a few years later after I had my daughter that I realized that I wasn't indeed a birth keeper and this was my path and I was called into it. And never has it been more clear to me that indeed peace begins at birth. And it begins even before birth. It begins with the integration and the sovereignty of the female person, of the, of the woman, of her spiritual and her physical sovereignty. And that's why, you know, I, I just fell in love with Carla instantly. I found her on Facebook and I was like, who is this badass that won't shut up? Like she just went and went and went. She wouldn't stop. 
And she wouldn't stop telling the truth, which is women own their births. Nobody else does. Nobody else does. And I was so intrigued by her and so intrigued by the, uh, you know, the real spiritual grassroots midwives that do this work come hell or high water. That to me is what a midwife is. A midwife is someone who attends women and the only person they're working for is that mama. That's it. And so, and I don't know at the same time, I do not, um, I don't judge women for choosing their paths if they want to be certified or this or that. But I really think that we've got to pick our battles and we've got to choose our battles. Well, you know, you get into that conundrum of certification or, or, you know, being a, you know, a nurse midwife and all that. And, and there are, there are, there's a lot of, uh, what's the word, um, compromises that you're going to have to make along the way. Uh, and I think that if you can dig deep in your own knowing, in your own sovereignty, in your own integrity, and you can do the work from a place of total, um, you know, independence, you're going to be a much better birthkeeper, a much better midwife. And I think that that's what we need right now. I really do. I think we need renegades. I need, I think we need rebels. I think we need women out there that are willing to hold the line on sacred birth and sovereignty because the pendulum needs to swing hard the other way. We have lost a lot of ground and they are, and they're pushing and they're going to continue to push. Um, and so that's kind of where my radicalism comes from, my radical, um, you know, ideas and the, and the way that I see the world, because um, I really believe in that equilibrium and that balance. And I think the pendulum has got to swing a lot harder the other direction before we regain some balance. It really does. When I look back on the, on the innocence of the courses that I was doing in 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 the late eighties, like I was, I was living in the middle of nowhere in in Italy, and I was like writing my assignments and sending them back to Carla, and she would send them back, and it was all mm -hmm. like really like I was learning a lot. I was learning my basic theory about you know birth and and anatomy and holistic birth and um. And that was my my basis, but the the kind of um, political what could you say paradoxes that we're living with now weren't there, right? Right. I felt like I mean I wasn't a birth keeper in the eighties or nineties. I was I was still a kid, but I you know I, when I entered the birth world, eight, you know fifteen some years ago. I felt this, I felt like we were, you know, we were, we were getting over the mountain sort of like there was this, you know, the women's movement, you know, quote unquote, I don't want to get into that, but the women's movement has <laughs> been around, so let's not, let's not go that, that rabbit hole, that's a whole nother interview. But, you know, in my mind, it's been around since the sixties, uh, you know, women were gaining ground in all these ways. And it's like, I felt like the natural birth movement was on the uptick and on the uprise. And I'll be honest with you, you know, six years ago, I felt like I got a huge slap in the face, huge yeah. slap in the face. I think women all over the world got a huge slap in the face. And it was like, oh, no, you don't, darling. Oh, no, you don't. We see where you're going. We see that you're you're gaining empowerment. You're gaining on all these ways. And, and we're going to smack you down a few. And it was just so disheartening. I had a girlfriend, a very good girlfriend that was a very, very active professional doula in the Bay Area. And I thought, what better place than California to have these nat the natural birth movement to take off? 
It's exactly the opposite. They're so inundated with technology and Google and Facebook. All these folks are turning to medicalized birth. They want the facade of a natural birth. They want to have a facade of a natural birth they can put on Instagram, but they're going for medicalization. They're going for intervention. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're signing up for their cesareans. It's like, so to me, I really saw this like total slipping of the natural birth movement. And, um, I feel like right now we are in this place as birth keepers where we have got to collect the seeds, these seeds of wisdom and store them away and protect them with everything that we've got. That's really how I feel. I feel like we're the seed keepers, we're the birth keepers, and we've got to protect these uh, heirloom seeds of knowledge because, and I think that that's happened throughout history and antiquity with women and witches and midwives, that there are times in which we have to be careful and we have to um, protect ourselves and we have to keep those seeds alive because um, I really do. I, I, it, sounds, it might sound a bit paranoid, but I really think that they're after those seeds of wisdom. And I've talked about this in other interviews when I talk about the, the machine or the commercialized aspects of birth. Um, there's a lot of different political movements that I don't necessarily want to get into right at the moment, but that are, you know, antithetical to natural birth and to sovereignty. And, um, and so I've talked about this before that these, these political camps target the natural birth movement. They target the natural birth movement and they, they target, uh, women only spaces and lesbian spaces. And, um, I've decided the reason I think that they target those spaces is because there's no two, uh, camps of women that are more threatening to the patriarchy than women that don't want or don't need men around. Uh, and here I am, I'm equating men with patriarchy, but for good reason. I think birth work is women's work. And I think women's sovereignty is about women's sovereignty. And I think that women deserve safe and women-only spaces. And the more that we allow for these political ideologies to infiltrate us, the more we lose ground. You know, it's not selfish for women to need and want these spaces. This is how we preserve our own history. We can't do it otherwise. You know, an observed birth is a changed birth. An observed ritual is a changed ritual. These rituals and these births are ours. They're sacred and they're private. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But I really think that birth keepers around the world need to understand that there's a that we are we are this we are the guardians of the comings and goings. And we are um, here to serve and protect that knowledge. Because um, without it, we 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 have we have everything to lose. I really I really believe that. I really believe that humanity has a lot at stake if we if we don't and can't preserve the autonomy of birth. I agree with you a hundred percent, and I will go even further in what you what you say might be suspected as paranoia, and say that I think that um, it's almost like a bigger picture good and evil struggle now because yeah. so many women have been co-opted into the the kind of lie of well you you need to have a career and then if you have a career then you need to have um you know your life needs to be sorted so if you can sort the life out and have a schedule so then we'll induce you at 39 weeks and 
you know, it's all going to work out fine, hun. You know, you'll be yeah. fine. Right. And people are buying that. They're actually buying it, which just makes me cry. I'm, I've got tears in my eyes right now because this is not a good gift to buy. Yes, absolutely. It's so interesting because if we really want to dig deep into the women's movement, the feminist movement, there's a lot of lies that have been sold. I mean, what it does, I've always found this discrepancy within feminist circles. I run around with a lot of radical feminists. I read a lot of them. I meet with them. I interview them. You know, I there's there's something there that is missing and it is the sacred. It's, you know, I really feel like we all have got a big fat mother wound. And I see this in radical feminism and I see this in the political circles that we actually ignore the sacredness and the sanctity of the female body. And if we're ignoring those things and we're ignoring quote unquote women's work in the world, which is the unpaid labor, like in capitalism and patriarchy, it's the unpaid labor of women and girls that, you know, the economics are based on and slave labor. Now, now that's bad, right? That's, that's not a good thing. You know, the way that it's corrupted, the way that it's utilizing capitalism and patriarchy is not a good thing. But the answer isn't then to force women into the patriarchal jobs that men hold and then force us to do double the work. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's not about equality. There's no such thing as equality. There's no such thing. I'm not equal to you. You're not equal to me. But what is real in my mind is equity. Respect what I do. How about we respect the fact that it's a full-time job uh, to be a mother? You know, I used to say that I was getting a PhD in motherhood because I ran my house like a, like, like an Amazon, like a doctor. Like I was, I was so invested in running my home and sourcing all my food from the rancher and, you know, getting fresh eggs and buying my organic produce and, you know, supplementing my children's education with homeschool curriculums and running co-ops and teaching yoga for free. That is what sustains life. That is what builds community. That is what sacred reciprocity is about. That's the foundations of a healthy community are about nutrition and connectivity and interconnectedness and relationships. And the problem isn't that women aren't equal. It's that people don't value what we do. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. We do a hell of a lot. It's just that we're not we're not acknowledged for it. We're not paid for it. Um, and so, you know, I, I see a lot of issues with that. I see a lot of issues with these, you know, these young, these poor, you know, women coming up in their thirties and thinking that they've got to have, you know, they got to be the president and CEO of their company and they have to look Instagram beautiful and they have to have a natural birth and they have to breastfeed. It's like, Oh honey, this, this is just, you know, it's too much. It's just too it's much. It's un unsustainable in the it's very deepest sense of the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are, no, it, absolutely. And it's, it's actually, to me, it's like, it's gross. Like it's a gross, it's a, it's a, it's gross in the sense that like we've been sold this lie and we're buying into it, you know, it's, it, it makes me really question, have we moved the dial in feminism at all? Or are we just... Are we just, are, are we, have we just been resold a different package? Well, liberal feminism was out there ready to be co-opted and, and it's been co-opted big time. That's, big time. that's my take on it. 
um, yeah. radical feminism might have a chance if we get our shit together and stop arguing with each other. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> so done. It's my prayer. That's my prayer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I always say, I work with women, you know, and I always say, you know, working with women is like herding cats, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And, and with... so be it. Like, that's. And so be it. It's yeah. great that we're all different and that you, you know, you're whatever and I'm whatever. And that's great. But again, so this leads me into my next question, which is that yeah. the division and fracturing and I would even go so far as to say hatred and and shaming amongst pretty much everyone is I, I feel it's increasing maybe because I'm old and grumpy. But what is what is your opinion? How can we make allies and create common ground? Or do you think that's just another illusion like liberal feminism? I don't think it's an illusion because I think that we I think that I think that if we look to nature, we see that nature is in harmony and in balance. You know, um, that's and and so it, the more that we get connected to our natural selves, the more that we strip ourselves of these distractions. I really believe there is a spiritual war afoot. I think that there is always that, um, you know, fight between good and evil, dark and light. The dark is really out there. You know, it's really, really out there. And with the invention of the internet and the way that people, you know, we've lost the ability to have these civil discourse. We've lost the ability to have nuanced conversation. What's the antidote to that? What's the antidote to that? Well, my thinking is circle up circle up, start where you are, sit in circle with women, sit in circle with your community, be human, have face-to-face -face contact, look into people's eyes. Look, there is a lot of vitriol and hate going on, but I think that's exactly where they want us. If we can hate each other, then we are, then we're dividable. And the more dividable we are, the weaker we are. This is a tactic of war. Okay. It's a tactic of war. So if we think about it that way, then we have to have the right tools to resist it. So what's the opposite of being divided? It's being connected. Garber Mate says that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. All of these things that we're addicted to, we're addicted to anger, we're addicted to fighting, we're addicted to othering, we're addicted to our virtue signaling, we're addicted to online platforms that are instantaneous the 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 opposite of those things is to slow the fuck down and get connected resist that way i do believe if you know it's interesting you asked me this question because i've been through the ringer with um different political communities and i've been slandered and i've been maligned and i've been you know all kinds of things and it hurts i'm not going to say it doesn't hurt um but the thing is is that we are interdependent on each other and we are a global community as women and we need each other. And so I think the more real that we can get about who we are, like I said in the beginning of the interview, the more integrated that we are, the more that we show our multifaceted selves, the more honest we are about our pains and our struggles and our blemishes and, our, and, our, and all these things, the more that we can connect. And, um, and that's an unstoppable force. I believe that women's power and our wisdom and our, and our ability to connect and nurture and that wonderful chemical oxytocin is more powerful than hate and evil. I really believe that. And I think that hate and evil, I think that evil 
in and of itself is inherently stupid because anything that perpetuates its own self-destruction is stupid. But nature isn't, and the earth isn't, and women inherently are not. We are the life bringers. We bring life, we nurture life, and we sustain life. That's innate in us, and that's superior. It's superior to hate and evil. So I've had this question asked to me before. A girlfriend asked me the other day. She said, do you really even have hope? Do you seriously have hope? And it took me an entire day to answer that question. And I got back to her and I said, this is the thing. I don't need hope if I have agency. I don't need hope. Hope is something you, you hang your hat on when you, when you feel powerless. Okay. When you feel powerless, you hope for something. I'm not hoping for it. I have agency. I want women to have agency. I want them to be active in their persistence. Um, that's, I think, how we, we get through this. And that's how we fight it, is through our embodiment and our agency and our autonomy and our sovereignty. So I wrote an article for the Feminist Current about uh, uh, gender identity politics and, and birth and language. And mm-hmm. um, uh, after that was published, I was... I was I was a little worried about publishing it because I didn't know what the kickback would be. I shouldn't have been worried at all. Um, but I was approached by by quite a few women who thanked me for writing it and said mm-hmm. that they agreed with me 100%, but they would never speak out. Right, right. So how how do you think, what is the best way that we can reduce fear and increase love? <sighs> Wow. Um, well, I think it is really important. I, 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 I really appreciate you writing that article for Feminist Current. Um, I myself, have, we created a group called The Womb Room, and, and it was you know over 500 midwives and birth keepers that were really trying in earnest to keep alive uh, women-centered language within birth. And we did make some headway there. I think it's really important. I think language is important as human beings. It's how we communicate as witches. It's how we cast spells. I mean, our, our words are spelling. And so the more that we perpetuate the dark magic, as I would call it, you know, the inverse, the lie, men do not give birth. Males do not give birth. They do not. They don't gestate and give birth to life. Human beings, women do. Um, so how do we, so where is the nuanced conversation? Now, this is something that I want more of. Uh, like wholeheartedly. I was out on the front lines for years and years and years making a ruckus about this and bringing attention to it. Sometimes probably not in the most loving way, because I'll be honest with you, I was angry. Mm-hmm. I really was angry. I really felt an attack, you know, personally on people like Carla Hartley. Uh, and I, I felt an attack on women and my response was to protect. Um, now, having that said, I've sure learned a lot in my activism in the last several years. There is a nuanced conversation to have. Um, but at the same time, it cannot come. The, the, the choices that we make, the rules that we decide as, you know, midwifery bodies and governing bodies and all these things, these things that we decide, they cannot come at the cost of women and girls. They can't come at the cost of women and girls. And so... You know, I, I, I mean, I, I just I, I don't, I'm not willing to compromise these things. I'm not willing to compromise women only and women safe spaces. I don't think it's ever too much to ask for women to have sovereign space. 
Um, and I don't think it's too much to ask. And I, I think it's ridiculous to, um, to be forced into compelled speech, especially around birth. I think that we need to have deeper conversations as to why that is so harmful. Look, women, women need representation within culture. That's our biggest issue. We're not represented in the Bible. We're not represented in mythological antiquity as much as we need to be. All of the female gods and, you know, goddesses um, have been minimized, uh, buried, you know, so we don't see ourselves culturally reflected back. And here we are in a modern era where even the language that is female-oriented and female-centered is now being eroded and taken away, that's a serious problem. That's a very serious problem. And if you've, if you've done any digging around why this matters, if you've, if you've read Jennifer Bilek's work at the 11-hour blog and seen, you know, where the money trail is coming from and sort of the nefarious, you know, energies that are around this and the capitalization and the, you know, the objectification of young people, you know, um, by all means, you should be upset and mad about it. Now, once we get upset and mad about it, like I'm a big fan of anger. I'll tell you, honestly, I think anger is great because it's a catalyst to awareness. It's what you do with it once you're angry. It's what you do with it. When you see the problem, you say, okay, now, now how do we swing back? Like you say, how do we have this nuanced conversation? How do we find love and, um, and common ground with people that are thinking differently? That's a wonderful question. And I want to keep, I want to keep inquiring about that. I think that we can only have, um, regain a balance and have those conversations when we have solid boundaries. Um, you can't, you, 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 you can't have a conversation with a guy who's choking you. Okay. So he's got to take, he's got to take his hands off your neck first. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So until, they stop strangling us and trying to shut us up. I think it's going to be really, really hard to have those nuanced and, and, and love filled conversations. I'm willing to have them, but um, you know, you got to take your boot off my neck first. Uh, you got to give women the right and their spaces back. We want our language back. This is, this is, this is where I draw the line in the sand. And I think that we need to have that conversation first. I think that the, the things that I find so disturbing is that exactly the same as, as um, women lining up for their epidurals, the women that are saying, well, I, I, I kind of agree with you, but you know, the, the boots on my neck, so I don't want to move because I'm, I'm worried that yeah. I'm going to get kicked. Right. You know, whereas someone Everything. like you or I are like, fuck off, get your boot off my neck. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, but that's with everything right now. It's like, it's in the birth world. It's in every aspect of politics. I mean, we're living in this fear culture. We're living in this cancel culture. You know, Megan's been canceled, but you know, all of us have been canceled. It's like there, there's that fear. And so what do you, how do you dispel that? How do you get rid of that fear? You, 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 there's no fear in your sovereignty. You can, you, can, you can only allow people to hurt you. You can only, if you're playing into the system, you're playing into the game. If you're dependent on the system, of course you're going to be fearful because you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. So the answer for me is to step outside of that paradigm. You got to step outside. You got you to get real with yourself. Of course, and I don't judge people that do that. I really don't. I don't judge them. I have a cousin who's an ER nurse. And she's indoctrinated into the medical system. How else could she not be? 
she needs to, you know, feed her family. I get that. But if we are going to get really real about this, if we really want to affect change from the ground up, from the roots up, from the guts of our being, from our soul, we have to push hard. We have to step outside the paradigm. We have to say a big fuck no to the medicalization of birth. We have to say a big fuck no to the, uh, you know, the, the certifications and the licensure because all that is boots on our neck. Nobody owns birth except for that mother. Nobody, nobody does. And so again, I just think the answer is to continuously come back to yourself and your own integrity, your, your, your own autonomy. And, you know, we can, we may not see the, the, the fruits of our labor. And I doubt that we will in the environmental movement or within this movement, we may not see the fruits of our labor, but I'll be damned if I'm not going to plant the seeds for the next seven generations. If my granddaughters are, 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 are better served for the work that we're doing now, then so be it. We may not see what we're doing, but I think that that's also where we need to get real. We need to get real about it and know that, yeah, I wrote a piece about this. It's like, would you continue to fight? Would you continue to fight and do the things you know you need to do? If you knew for certain, you would never see the fruits of your labor. Now that that's a real question. We got to dig deep for those answers. We can't be so selfish and sort sort uh, sided um, to think that we're the only ones that matter. So um, I think every day is a good day to hold the line, and um, and uh, yeah, that's that's I consider it part of my life's work. I think that when you when you speak about not about acting and not ever knowing if you're going to see the fruits, that's where our approach to our work is magical. Right. Right. It's not productive. It's actually magical. So there's no A plus B equals C. It's yeah. really, let's just throw those these these things out there and see what happens. You know, it's, I, yes, all of that. And if you if if you've ever had the uh, joy of studying with Wapio, um, and and you've taken any of her courses, she talks about quantum physics in her in her birth classes. You know, we are in a, we're in a, we're in a, you know uh, an awareness uh, in our humanity right now where quantum physics is recognizable. We understand it. Um, so we know that the energy that we put out there, we know that everything is energy. We know that everything vi it has a vibration. We know that there's different quantum fields of energy. Um, we're beginning to expand our minds. Um, we're getting a lot smarter. We're not as smarter as some ancient peoples, I think, but we're getting a bit smarter about these things. And so it's like, who's to say that the momentum that we're building here on the material plane and, or in the ether on the spiritual planes isn't going to take off. You know, there is a tipping point, just like there's a tipping point when they talk about the evil ick and the singularity and the AI and all that nastiness. There's a tipping point. There's a tipping point with the environment. But guess what? There's a tipping point for our energies too. There's a tipping point. And I really, I wrote this the other day that we may not see the fruits of our labor, but eventually, eventually, I really believe that there'll be human beings integrated sovereign human beings walking this earth i really do believe that i believe that the the earth and human beings will regain um the natural state and it, i don't know what it's going to look like between now and then <laughs> um 
But hey, what are we going to do? We signed up for this lifetime. We signed up for yeah. years. You know, we're built for it. That's what I want people to remember too. Is like you're built for it. That's why you're here. <laughs> well, that actually leads to something else that wasn't in my questions. But you being built for it is such a we don't know so many of us living in this culture, not in not in less affluent cultures, but so many of us living now in this culture. So many people that are just sitting at desks or sitting behind cash registers or whatever don't know that they're actually built for physical work yeah. and hard work. And you can yeah. do something that you might think is going to kill you and you can actually do it. So that yeah. that preparation for actually giving birth isn't there in people's lives anymore. Well, it's going to be. I mean, that's my that's my prediction. I think that, you know, I studied a, a anthropologist in college named Marvin Harris, and one of his theories around sociology and, and um, human behavior is that humans don't do things unless they have to, essentially, right? Like, and it's just like the birth metaphor. I tell this to my clients, it's like babies aren't born because they want to be. The babies are born because the womb becomes inhospitable. Okay. The womb becomes, the placenta begins to die and the chemicals, you know, have the domino effect and the birth process begins and says, Hey, it's time to get out kid. Okay. Same thing with death. Your body starts to die. It's like, Hey, it's time to get out of here, kid. You got to go someplace else. <laughs> Same thing with human behavior. Okay. We are complacent. We are conditioned. We are sitting around on our fat asses in front of our TVs and on our desks and on our computers and we're not going to just jump up and say, hey, I want to go work in the fields now for 16 hours a day. But what's going to happen, most likely, with the tipping point and the destruction of, you know, our environment and, 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 and the, you know, the, the constructs of our industrial age as they begin to crumble, which I think that they are, we are going to be forced to garden. We're going to be forced to have our babies in a field. We're going to be forced to grow our own medicine. And so survival isn't about wanting to do it. It's about adapting to it. It's about adapting to it. So, you know, let us pray into that. Let us pray into that and, and hope and pray, not, not hope. Maybe I shouldn't use that word, but let's pray into that, that people begin to understand that they do have what it takes and that, um, and to give them these seeds of knowledge and, you know, um, to give them a little, you know, heads up and a little nudge, like things are going to get dicey. If it's not going to get dicey for this generation, it's definitely going to be for the next and the next and the next. They're going to yeah. be forced. They're going to be forced. You know, like, you know, the one of our uh, native sayings is that you can't eat money. You can't eat money, yeah. honey. You, you can only eat food. <laughs> and you can't even plant money. Try planting you money in the ground. Money. Nothing's going to grow. Nope. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah. And same with birth. You cannot, it's like, I understand that people capitulate to the machine to some extent, but those of us that are holding the line on sovereign and natural birth, we are needed and we will continue to be needed. Um, probably more so in the future than ever. I really, I really believe that. So don't stop. Don't stop. Uh, I think, I think tools. the, the witches will definitely be needed. If we're not destroyed, then uh, then we're going to be the most important people. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I really don't feel, I mean, it just actually, 
it really makes me laugh. There's just no way. I just, I don't feel that at all. I mean, they, they, they're trying to destroy so many. Exactly. Things. Yeah. Can't it's funny that really. the first, uh, the first time I got canceled, um, the, the young person that canceled me just happened to be German and um, I'm of Jewish descent. So I was just laughing with my friends. I, I was like, oh, he's going to cancel me or he, whatever, is going to cancel me on the social media. And like six million of my people were killed by his people. Like, come on. Oh, you know, like, let's yeah. get some perspective about what it yeah. actually means, you know, to yeah. be living in this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and yeah, absolutely. They can bury us, but they don't know how, you know, how how much will come back is that beautiful blossoming, um, you know, consciousness. It's a consciousness. Yeah. You can't stop consciousness. You know, there is a tipping point for consciousness and so mode it be let's, let's, let's keep working at it. Um, it's so I have, it. I have one final question. Well, I always have my final, final question, but I have one final question, like semi-final question for you. And that is a big one, probably. How does being a mother inform what you do? Oh, wow. Um, you know, my children are a blessing. They, they're my compass. I didn't um, grow up with a big family. Um, I didn't, I didn't have the kind of mothering that, um, that I think that, you know, a, a lot of us strive to have. So, um, you know, I have it, oh, being a mother, how does it inform what I do? Well, let's start at the beginning to my, both of my births. I, I always talk about them being bookend experiences because Max was premature, uh, give or take. He was almost six weeks premature, right on the cusp there of, um, you know, it being kind of dicey. I had a very, very stressful pregnancy with him. Very, very stressful marriage. I was in a very abusive marriage, my first marriage. Um, and it's not lost on me that I was so stressed out and I developed intrahepatical stasis when I was pregnant with him. Mm. I was very, very sick. Um, and so, you know, he needed to come early. They wanted to induce me. It's a great story that I'd love to tell sometime, but essentially I just worked it out spiritually with Max and I asked him to come early and he did. He was born and then he was, um, in the NICU for two weeks. Um, it was a difficult, difficult really difficult labor, difficult stay in the hospital, difficult postpartum. I had postpartum depression. I had a severe back injury. There was a lot that went into raising Max and learning. Um, and then I had this bookend pendulum swung the other way experience with my daughter. I had decided when I wanted to have Josephine that I was going to have a home birth come hell or high water. And I did. And I was very much cared for, even though I was still in my first marriage. I had um, a doula basically living with me, a young girl that uh, was living with me. And I was very supported and loved. And she came in the morning, um, May morning um, at 7.15, just like my water broke with Max at 7.15. But her labor was an hour and 45 minutes. Her labor was an hour and 45 minutes. She shot out like a cannon. <laughs> the, mid, the midwife barely even got there in time. You know, it was one of those, right? And I, it changed my life. It changed everything about who I am in the sense that after that experience, I knew that I could do anything. I could do anything, anything. 
And then, you know, having a daughter was a real eye-opening experience. I was very afraid to actually have a daughter, not having a great relationship with my own mother. Um, I was a little worried about how, what a mother I would be. But this is the thing about the beauty of life in and of itself and the beauty of nature because it unfolds in its own divine way. And so the reciprocity between myself and my daughter and the reciprocity between, between myself and my son is a divine interaction. And they've just taught me to listen. They've taught me to be real. And I teach this to my clients. There's no perfect parent. Just be good to yourself. Be a good person. You know, so it's, they inform everything I do. They're my compass. That's what I come back to. Um, and, uh, and absolutely, they inform and propel me into my activism because that's a natural extension of why we do what we do. If we, we're, do, we're not doing it for us, right? We're doing it for them. We're doing it for them. We're doing it for our grandkids. We want a better world. We know things are fucked up. It's obvious. I mean, as a mother, it's like the minute they land or even before you have your children, you begin studying and looking at the world through that lens. Like I'm a mother now, or I want to be a mother. Everything changes. And you realize you are at war. You are, you really are. I don't mean to scare you, but you are because there are so many things out there that try to steal the mind, body, and spirit of our children, whether it's the poisoning of our food supply and our water or the medications or the damn desks they put them in in school or whatever it is, the internet. So it's like being a mom is like, it's like being vigilant 24-7. And then you got to find the balance in that. And you got to find the reciprocity and the divinity in, in that. So it's, man, it's everything. I love being a mother. It's the, it, it really is the most challenging and rewarding and taxing spiritual job on the planet. Um, but who better to do it? <laughs> <laughs> so glad you added that little piece. That's, that's perfect. That's just perfect. And the amazing thing is about it. It doesn't, um, it doesn't ever end. It never ends. Yeah. Like you're it a mother till, ends. till you die and probably beyond who knows. Oh, that's so true. I want to add one last thing because an elder spoke this to me one day and I asked her, I said, you know, cause my children are only uh, 17 and 12 at this, at this time. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, I said, how do you do it? How do you, she, you know, she has like 18 grandchildren and some great grandchildren. I said, how do you do it? How do you, how do you just, how did you, how do you keep up with all this? It's so hard to even have your kids out in the world. And you know what she said to me? She said, your heart just expands. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I just, it just blew my mind. Think, <laughs> you know, you're thinking about all the ways that you energetically care for your children and then you do that for their partners and then you do yeah. that for your grandchildren. I'm like, whoa, this could go on forever and ever and ever. And it does. It's well, so it, amazing. It oh, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Amazing and beautiful and limitless. And I think that's, that's a great place to end. It's like, we are limitless beings. We are profoundly limitless beings in our capacity, in our, in our, in our, in our quantifiable energetics, like our heart, our spirit, our soul, our knowing, our influence. It's, it's unstoppable and it's, it's expansive. And, and we need to, we need to re-remember that and not let the powers that be um, hinder or snuff that out. Thank you so much. And now for my final question, because I always ask everyone, <laughs> I just need one word that you're going to give to our listeners. 
sovereignty. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. It was so much fun. I love doing it. I'd love to see you. I'd love to talk to you again. <laughs> I want to see you in person. I'm going to have fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>